This morning, if you uh, have your Bibles, I invite you to take out your Bible and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, once again in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. If you're using uh, the uh, Pew Bible in front of you, the Red Pew Bible, it is page one, or 559, page 559. Um, when I went to college, uh, I, you know, the second time, I guess I would say, or maybe the third time I started college and was successful at it, I uh, discovered that I learned, um, I discovered that I liked philosophy. One of their... Uh, and so I would, be stu- I would study philosophy, and inevitably I would go to church or, or be out in the world and talk to somebody, and they would say, philosophy? What's the point in that? What's that? There you, go. there you go. Right. It's a valid question. It's a good question. What's the point in philosophy? Well, I can look back on it and say the point in philosophy uh, of me taking philosophy was that in 20 years I can get, talk to you all about philosophical things like I'm about to do. Maybe that's it. So it's an introduction to a sermon, if nothing else. Uh, what, I, I remember reading one philosophical work that made a great impression on me. It's from Albert Camus. It was the, the myth of Sisyphus. And Sisyphus is a character from uh, ancient Greek uh, mythology. And Camus, in the middle of the 20th century, used the picture of Sisyphus as a way to describe what life is like. Sisyphus, as a uh, Greek hero, or a tragic uh, hero, depending on how you looked at him, uh, was punished by the gods. He was the king of the area of Corinth, and he was punished for his human depravity. And his punishment was that he was required to, day by day, roll a large boulder up a mountain, only at the end of the day to see it fall back to the, to the bottom of the mountain. So day by day, he would roll the boulder up the mountain, and at the end of the day, when his work was almost finished, it would roll back down. And the point was that, that essentially from this myth is that the gods have punished humans with the drudgery of work, of never getting anywhere. And, and that's the way that the Greeks understood humanity and human life. And Albert Camus took a, a slightly different look on it, and he said Sisyphus is actually a happy character because he enjoyed the rolling of the rock up the mountain every day. And so Camus tried to say we need to be happy in the drudgery of life as well. Well, that got me thinking, uh, especially in this passage, about the shifting ground underneath us and the reality that, you know, day by day we're rolling the rock up the hill, and at the end of the day it looks like, you know, none of the work that we do is successful or, or even helpful or, or maybe even worth anything. And it feels like the, the rocks maybe underneath our feet are shifting below us, and as the rock tumbles down the hill, or tumbles down the mountain like we're, we're maybe in a landslide ourselves. And that got me thinking about the song Landslide from Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac. It's a beautiful song. Maybe you know it well. Uh, and Stevie Nicks wrote that song in the midst of the turmoil of everything that was going on with the band Fleetwood Mac. She was in Colorado looking out her friend's back window at a large mountain and she saw an avalanche happening and she wrote the, the song Landslide, how everything in life seems to be crumbling around her. And in, in, in the face of that inevitability of life where the, the rocks seem to kind of slide out from underneath us and we're caught up in the landslide, how should we respond? Well, the world has certain answers. 
The world essentially says, well, you need to despair and, and just, just despair of life and be cynical and be upset about it. Or they say, buck up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get to work, and just deal with the landslide. Well, the biblical response is different. Solomon's response is the one, is the biblical response that we see here. And it's not, it's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not despair of life. It's, it's a response that's full of wisdom and fruitfulness. And it's one that we need to hear this morning. So let me read this for us again. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. This is God's good and kind and gracious word to you this morning. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disasters may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain and they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way, the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's ask for his help and understanding and pray with me. Father, again, we thank you for inspiring the writing of this chapter. Uh, we thank you for inspiring uh, King Solomon to give us this wisdom. I pray that you would work in these words and through these words to show us your wisdom, godly wisdom, and especially show us the embodiment of wisdom, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. So our three points this morning are a little bit different than what we normally have, uh, the first point is keep going. The second point is don't stop. And the third point is almost there. So keep going, don't stop, almost there. Keep going. Let's deal with this first in verses 1 through 4. Keep going. He begins with this very interesting saying. And, and this passage uh, has a lot of delightful little things in it. And he says, cast your bread upon the waters. Cast your bread upon the waters. And I'm sure all of us or many of us, most of us have had this experience of going down to the edge of some water where there are some ducks and you cast some bread out there to the ducks to feed the ducks. And you know what happens. You get your little piece of Wonder Bread or Bunny Bread and you go down with that, that very white, you know, very uh, absorbent piece of bread. You throw it in the water. And if the ducks don't immediately get to it, what happens? Well, it sits there on the surface for a moment, and then it slowly kind of drifts down, and then it begins to very quickly disintegrate, and then very soon it's gone. Now, whatever it is that, uh, that Solomon meant by this 
little saying, cast your bread upon the waters, he doesn't mean you're to feed the ducks. That's not what he's talking about. Um, because they didn't have white bread back then. They didn't have sliced bread back then. That's why we have the saying, it's the greatest invention since sliced bread, because it wasn't that long ago that people didn't have sliced bread that we had. He's not talking about feeding the ducks. But the reality is that we don't know exactly what he's talking about. There are some people that speculate that he's talking about Nile farming practices, that on the Nile, at a certain season when the Nile was pretty low, they would take what they call bread corn and they would throw it into the Nile and it would slowly kind of settle in the sediment of the Nile River. And then after a certain amount of time, it would spring up and they would get, you know, they would be able to make uh, bread from, from the seeds that were planted in the in the. Uh, in the Nile like that. So they cast literally their seeds into the water, not knowing what would come up. Or, you know, maybe it's something about economics and the economics of exporting your bread. So put your bread on a truck, send it overseas and and all that. There's a lot of of discussion about what these things mean. Uh, Here's what it definitely does mean. Uh, Whatever he's specifically talking about, it's a parable, and parables are about something other than themselves. And ultimately, it's about doing what you should do even when you don't think you're going to get any return for it. Doing what God has called you to do even when you don't think it's going to pay off for you. And it's a very common experience for us. I guarantee you, all of you have had this thought this week. Does this matter? Does what I'm doing really matter at all? You've all had that thought at some week, uh, at some point this week. Parents... I mean, more than likely, parents, you've had the thought after dealing with your kids at, at some point, you think, why am I working so hard to teach them these things? Because they don't seem to be getting it. And you know, you've given your kids every advantage that you can think to give them, material advantages, spiritual advantages, social advantages, and they just fight with you at every single turn. And you think, does it really matter? Should I continue expending so much effort on my kids when they don't give me any return? But it's not just the parents that have experienced that. Maybe the kids have experienced that this week. Because you have to go to school week or day after day after day, and you're given mounds and mounds of homework to do, and you think to yourself, what is the point in doing all of this homework? You don't see any of the return for it, at least not yet. And so you say, should I even do it? Does, should I even worry about it? Spouses, husbands, and wives go through this. You think to yourself, is it worth it for me to invest in my marriage, invest in my spouse, when she or he doesn't give me any return? Why should I continue to love my wife as Christ loved the church if she doesn't respond like she's supposed to? Or, or wives, why should I submit to my husband if she doesn't, if she doesn't respond uh, or you know, or if he doesn't respond by loving me, is it worth it? And so, you know, the world's answer to that is no, absolutely not. It's not worth it. Don't worry about it. If your marriage is hard, get out of it, okay? To kids, they say, do what you want. Don't worry about what, what adults tell you. And parents, well, parents aren't let off the hook. Unfortunately, the world still says, no, you've got to work harder, Okay. <laughs> But that's kind of the worldly answer. What's the biblical answer? And in this passage, we see what the biblical answer is. The biblical answer is, cast your bread upon the water, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. That's about being generous. If God has given you something, then give away your stuff. 
There's no use in hoarding it because you don't know what's going to happen day by day by day. And then there's the whole thing about where a tree falls. I don't quite know what exactly he means when he's saying that sort of stuff. But he says, you know, the clouds are going to get full of rain and you're going to see the clouds full of rain and it's going to rain. That's, that's what it means. And verse 4, he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. If you just observe the, the clouds as they're forming rain and you don't actually get to work to make use of the rain that God gives you, then you're going to waste it. And if you just observe the wind, if you go outside and say, oh, the wind's blowing this way, but you don't really use that knowledge, then you're never going to get anything done and, and you won't sow the seed as you need to. And if you just look at the clouds all the time, then you're not going to reap any of the work that God has given you. So don't, or keep going is what he says. That's, that's the answer. Keep going when you don't see the results. Parents, whenever your kids are driving you nuts and you don't think it's paying off at all, God's response to you is keep on doing it. Because you don't know what seeds you're planting in their mind. And yes, it might take 3, 4, 5, 6, 20, 50 years for those seeds to sprout. But God says, keep on going. And let me just, uh, for parents, and I need this encouragement as well, um, whenever your, your kids are driving you nuts, just think back about how nuts you drove your parents. <laughs> and have you turned out okay? I mean, you were absolutely crazy as a teenager too. And look at where you are because your parents didn't give up on you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Kids, you know, doing homework. Is there a payoff for the homework that you do? Absolutely, there is a payoff. And you may not see it today. You may not see it tomorrow, but come test time, you will see it. And then also, you know, the things that you're learning in school day by day by day as you're doing the homework, as you're doing all the things that you're supposed to do, the real payoff for that comes whenever you get to be 25 and your boss walks in and says, I need you to do all of this junk that I don't want to do, and you have to have homework from your boss. And you know how to do it, and you know how to do it well because you've learned how to. Is there a payoff? Absolutely, there is a payoff. So the biblical answer to us is keep going. Do the things that God has given you to do, even when it looks like there's not a payoff. Secondly, he says, don't stop. So keep going, don't stop. And look at verse 5 as he says here. It begins with, uh, with something that's probably one of the greatest mysteries of the world. He says, you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. You don't know. Have you ever been sitting in a doctor's office as he is trying to explain something to you? He's trying to figure out what's wrong with you. And he begins to talk about all the various things that he thinks might be wrong with you. And in the back of your mind, you just wish he would be quiet because you know he has no idea what he's talking about. You ever had that experience? Well, doctors are among the worst about admitting that they don't know what they're talking about. And I've had that experience. Amy and I have had that experience with a particular doctor. I don't want to go into the details now, but we were sitting with a doctor who was at the very height of his field who looked at Amy and, and Amy and me, Amy and I, whichever one it is, looked at us and he said, we have no idea how children come into the world. 
He was honest. He said he had that doctors in the medical field has no idea about how children get, get here. I mean, they know some of the mechanisms and the functions and all that, but the whole process of babies makes no sense, and it shouldn't work. And we had a doctor actually say that, and it was such a relief to hear a doctor say, we don't know how it works because it shouldn't. I'll give you more details on that later. I can't go into all the details on it, but that's what he said. And that's something that I think we need to practice more often as Christians. We need to say, I don't know. And that's where Solomon says, you don't know. You don't know how a soul goes into the body of a baby when it's growing in the womb of a mother. You don't know that. That's probably the greatest mystery. That's when we can't see it happening. You can, you can see a baby growing in the mother's womb through ultrasound and all of those amazing things, and you can get high-resolution detail, but the one thing you can't see is the soul that comes into that baby. It's an amazing mystery. And so Solomon says, just as you don't know how that happens, so you don't know what God is going to do and how God is going to do things. You don't know. So how should you respond if you don't know what God is going to do in the next moment, much less tomorrow or the next day or in the next year or the next five years? What are you going to do? Well, don't stop. Don't stop doing what God has called you to do. Look in verse 6. In the morning sow your seed, in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. He's saying, you know, when should you work hard? In the morning? Yes. When should you work hard? In the evening? Yes. Work hard. Why? Because you don't know when God is going to give the results from your hard work. You don't know. So when should you work hard? Morning and evening. And then also, this is something I think is interesting. I, I think this is a, a specific reference to something else in the life of, of believers, and especially in the life of Old Testament believers, because they had morning and evening prayers. And our prayers are like little seeds that we plant. And in the morning, when God's people would gather at the temple to pray, they didn't know if God was going to answer those prayers. And at the evening, maybe they looked back and they didn't know if God, or they knew whether or not God would answer those prayers for, the more, for that day. Or they wouldn't know, but they would still gather in the evening to pray again because they didn't know if God would answer the prayer in the morning or in the evening or any of those things. And so he says... How should you as a Christian pray? Pray in the morning and pray in the evening because you don't know when God is going to answer their prayers. So don't stop praying. Don't stop seeking the Lord and going before him with your prayers and your supplications and asking for him to do things. Parents, don't stop praying for your children. Because when all is lost with your children and you can't think of anything else to do, guess what? God is not thrown into confusion and chaos. He knows exactly what's going on, so pray for your children. Don't stop. Kids, whenever you're doing homework, and homework is kind of a theme for this sermon, whenever you're doing your homework, don't stop doing your homework. If you don't know this about me, just come and sit in one of my Sunday school classes or sit in, uh, sit in through a Bible study. I can't spell. I have a hard time spelling. Now, I can spell big words like justification and sanctification. I can spell very, very big theological terms that most people uh, would struggle with. Superlapsarianism, that one's easy for me. But you know what word I have a hard time with? Receive. 
The I before E except after C things always throw me off. And how vowels fit together, I, I just don't know how that works. And do you know why I'm such a bad speller? Because as a teenager, I thought sitting down and working on spelling all of those little words was really beneath me. And I used that as an argument with my mom and my dad to say, you know, I don't have to do this. This stuff is so easy, any idiot could do it except I can't do it at 42 years old. So any idiot can't, because this idiot can't do it. And some of you have seen that and have been frustrated as I spell something on the board and you think, oh, how come he, he has a master's and he can't spell this? It's because I didn't do the hard work early in life. Don't stop. Do the hard work and it will pay off for you. So, Solomon, oh, I had this joke. Um, I wanted to say this joke and I wrote it down, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. I, I can't spell because I thought it was beneath me, which is something really arrogant for a short guy to say. So anyway, okay. It's really arrogant for a short guy to say something's beneath him. That's the joke. All right. Solomon says, yes, work. Work hard. But sometimes, look in verse 7. Light is sweet and it's pleasant to the eyes to see the sun. He says, yes, work hard. Make sure that you're doing the work that God has given you. Keep on working don't stop working, but every now and then go outside and enjoy the sun. That's, that's what he means there. You know, all work and no play really does make you a dull person. Go and enjoy the work, or the sun sometimes. Have cake. You know, cake at every meal is probably bad for you. But no cake is bad for you as well. Every now and then have some cake. You can have your cake and you can eat it too. That's what... Solomon says here, work hard, don't stop working, do what God has given you to do, but sometimes enjoy life. You're free to do that. Uh, the third thing he says here is in verses 9 and 10, you know, you're almost there. You're almost there. And he begins talking about this by giving a word of warning in verse 9, a word of warning. He says, he, but he does this in a sarcastic way. Rejoice, O young man. You think, oh, this is going to be a positive thing. Rejoice, O young man, but it's not a positive thing. He's being sarcastic. He says, in the days of your youth, and, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Essentially, this is what he's saying. He's saying, go ahead. If you're young, go ahead. Do anything that you want to do. And he, he kind of gives you the, the Disney line. Follow your heart. He gives you the Hollywood line that Hollywood wants to sell us. Which, by the way, do you know why they're selling us that line? It's because we buy it. That's why Disney is constantly telling you, follow your heart. It's because you really want to follow your heart. But they're wrong. Solomon says, you know, you can go ahead and you can follow your heart, young, young person. No matter how selfish your heart is, no matter how depraved, no matter how dangerous. And if your eyes see it, and you want it, go for it. Take it. If you want to eat it, eat it. If you want to drink it, drink it. If you want to smoke it, smoke it. Follow your heart. Go for it. Do it. Do whatever you want to do. But if you do that, know you will come into judgment. And every old person in here knows that. That you will pay for the sins of your youth. Your body will keep score for every wrong thing that you do, which is why old people are constantly telling you, 
Don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because so many of us did it and we regret it. So Solomon says, follow your heart, but you will come into judgment. God will judge you for what you do in your youth. There's a word of of warning there, and you need to hear that. But he also gives a word of encouragement in verse 10. And this is for older people. He says, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. And that word vexation, that's, that's a kind of a hard one to uh, translate. And so if we have multiple translations in here, probably all of you have a different word there for that word trans, uh, vexation that mine says vexation. It, mean, it means something like emotional distress. Remove emotional distress from you. Remove anxiety from your heart. Essentially what he's saying there is if, if, you've, if you think back on your youth and you have regrets, if you did wrong and if you sinned, and if you're laying in your bed in the middle of the night and one of those sins comes to your mind, remove it from your heart. Don't worry about it. Put it away. Why? Because youth and the dawn of life are a mist. Put it away from your heart. If you have emotional stress or anxiety or any of those things, and if you think back over your life and you have regrets, he says, you can't do anything about it. Yes, you screwed up. Yes, you sinned in a myriad of ways. You have offended people with your life. You have done the wrong thing. If you've sinned against someone, confess it. Apologize for it. Ask for forgiveness. And stop trying to earn forgiveness by doing some kind of penance. All of us go through these cycles. Are you a sinner? Yes. But if you're in Jesus Christ today, your sin has already been punished. You are set free in Jesus from your sins and from the sins of your youth. You have been offered forgiveness. Take it. You know, Jesus said to the woman on the well in Genesis or in John chapter 8, he says, you know, where are your where are those that condemn you? And she says, they've all left. He says, then I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Go. Remove vexation from your heart. If you were a rascal as a youth, confess it and move on. There's nothing you can do about it now. And that's that's the good news for you. Jesus has dealt with it. Move on with your life. And he says, you're almost there. Glory awaits. Your youth is a mist, isn't it? Your youth has gone from you faster than you ever thought it would be. And you can't hold on to it. You can't stop the progression of time. It's already gone. I remember um, I've taken way too many teenagers on way too many youth trips. Um, and, And... one in particular where we would drive to the beach, go to RYM, and it's about a six-hour trip from here. And so three hours into it, I, would, I usually play for the kids Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer because he says we're halfway there, right? <laughs> living on a prayer. All youth trips are living on a prayer, and the prayer is that you bring everybody back home alive. That's pretty much it. But at some, at some point in the middle of the trip, Regardless of the trip, when you're halfway there, don't you get more energy and more excitement? You know, the first you know, hour is exciting. The second hour is drudgery. The third hour is hard. But when you hit that middle stage, 
You got energy again. Well, you're almost there. And I think that's what Solomon is telling us. Don't stop because you're almost there. And as Christians, you have 70, maybe 80 years, maybe 90, maybe 100 years. You know, in terms of eternity, that is nothing. You are more than halfway to eternity. Don't stop living for Christ. We're closer to the end than we are to the beginning. All of us in here, do you know that? You're closer to the end of eternity than you are to the beginning. Now, if you're a physicist, you can try to explain that. Um, I'm not. But you're closer to eternity than you are to non-eternity. Don't stop. Don't stop. Now, in one of those, in conclusion, let me just say this. One of those trips that I took um, with some young people, me and, a, and another guy, took um, seven or eight uh, junior high kids to the Smoky Mountains to go hiking in the Smoky Mountains. I don't know why we did this. I don't like hiking, but we did it. And there was this one place on the Appalachian Trail in the Smoky Mountains where we would go to and we would go hike. And every day we would start hiking a three-mile trek. And I thought, three miles, that's not a big deal, except it seemed like it was straight up the side of a mountain. So we would start, and all the junior high kids would just run ahead. And the guy that I was with was 6'3 and had these long legs, and he just kind of plodded along. It was, and before long, they would all leave me. And every now and then, you know, the, the other guy that was with us would send one of the kids back to check on me. How are you doing? How are you doing? I said, they just want to stop. And the kid, one of the kids that would come back and say, it's oh, just so beautiful, just right up ahead, just keep on going. <sighs> All right, so I would keep on going. And I remember this day after day, we would do this hike, and I would keep on going. And I would think, we just stop here. I would just stop here. And the kid would always come back and say, it's just so beautiful. Just come on. I remember the first day whenever I went and I, and I worked and I was sweating and nasty and my feet were tired and we got to just right around the bend to the end of this three-mile hike and there was all of this valley just laid out before you and it was beautiful and it was worth it and we sat there and we had our lunch and it was great and then it dawned on me we have to go back <laughs> here's the reality for us as Christians we don't have to go back we don't have to turn around and go down the mountain. We are going to that beautiful glory that God has laid out for us. We need to keep on going. We shouldn't stop. We can't stop. Because we're almost there. If God has given you something to do, do it with all of your heart. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. And I pray that you would help us to... I hear these things, to believe these things, to know who we are in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would encourage our hearts. Let us hear the warnings and take those to heart. And Lord, let us hear the glory of Jesus Christ, that we are almost there because of him. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.